Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another, and impacting the world. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. And in that refrain, show us Christ. That's what we desire today. Something spiritual to happen. Even as we read the word of God, we might see the man of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. This is a spiritual activity. And so it's right that even before I read scripture, we bend our hearts, we bow our heads, and we pray that God himself would reveal himself to us this evening. Let's bow our heads and pray to Almighty God. Lord God, you have the words of eternal life. Would you speak them to us tonight? Father, we, we're talking about some aspects of life which are so practical to the way that we live. But Lord, don't let the practicalities of living the Christian life overshadow Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. If we live, might we live to his praise and glory. If we reform, let us reform to his praise and glory. If we are to be transformed to anything, let us be transformed that Jesus Christ might be glorified in our lives. Change us, Father God. By your Holy Spirit, work in our hearts and in our minds. Renew our minds. Stir our hearts. Conform our lives. Be glorified in us. These things we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. He is Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, friends, uh, we find ourselves in the middle of a series. We've been going for a number of weeks, even months, and we are currently in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians, if you're visiting with us, is in the New Testament, first the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. I can't tell you the page number on my Bible because I'm, I'm using an iPad. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I think the rustle of pages is almost subsided just to help us to focus and also to give appropriate honor to the reading of God's word, can I ask that we stand as many of us as are able? I think that's the whole house tonight. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. Friends, I read to you from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at the 12th verse, hear the word of the Lord. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Now, food is meant for the stomach, and stomach for food, 
And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Just so far in the reading of God's word, amen. Please be seated. Corinth was a big city. It was a geographically important city. It was a wealthy city. It was a influential city. It was the capital of the Roman province of Achaia. It was located about 40 miles west of Athens in Greece. The city was on an isthmus. <laughs> isthmus. It's a hard word. I had to go look it up. <laughs> Do you know what an isthmus is? It's when you have two land masses and they are connected together by a very narrow piece of land. So on the one side, you have got the, the sprawling mainland of Greece. And on the other side, you have a peninsula, like a round circle landmass in the middle of the sea. And you've got this, this narrow body of land which connects the two. And Corinth was located slap bang in the middle of that narrow passage. And so rather cleverly, the Corinthians had two port harbors. The one on the east side of that narrow landmass and the other on the west side of that narrow landmass. So that if you wanted to avoid sailing around the peninsula, the dangerous peninsula, you would go into the one port city and then you would just take your goods across the city of um, Corinth into the other port city and then off you go for the rest of your voyage. And so as a result, the city had a lot of hustle and bustle. Corinth was a rough city, filled with sailors, and sailors are known as being rough guys, and way too much wealth, both of which, the sailors and the wealth, led to decadence. There was a large following of the cult of um, Aphrodite's among the Gentiles in Corinth. In fact, her temple was on the top of a, a big mountain in the middle of the city, and her worship involved temple prostitution. In fact, 
the city had so many prostitutes that well-known Greeks, including Plato, openly referred to prostitutes as Corinthians. That's how how decadent the city was and how well-known it was for decadence. The city was a mess. But out of that mess, God was saving people. Amen? (laughs) Hallelujah. God can save people even in the midst of a mess like the city of Corinth. That's very, very encouraging. Let me tell you about the mess that the church was in. There were divisions in the church. There was immorality in the church, even sexual immorality in the church. There was an abuse of spiritual gifts in the church. There was idolatry in the church. In the chapter that we're in, Paul had just described the kind of state that the Corinthian believers were saved in. He had said that the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves and greedy and drunkards and revilers and swindlers, that was you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God changes lives. He changed my life. (laughs) And I know that he has changed the lives of many that are in this room. And he changed the lives and was changing the lives of many of the believers in the Corinthian church. With all the city's sins in mind tonight, we read that the spirit of the city had infected the church. And so Paul addresses sexual immorality, sexuality, uh, the sexual sin generally in this letter and specifically in this passage. And I'm really glad that he did because this letter has great benefit to us, Central Baptist Church situated in the capital city of Pretoria, as we live out our lives, and as many of you young folk live out your lives and your faith in a sex-obsessed world and a sexually deviant world. Now first, Paul is going to address the abuse of two general principles which had been misapplied by the Corinthian believers. And then he is going to give us, everyone in the room, the Corinthian church, and and through them to us, three very practical applications related to sexual immorality. So number one, a principle which was being misapplied. Read verse 12 in your own Bibles together with me. Paul writes, and I I want you to notice that the first part of the sentence is in inverted commas. All things are lawful for me. And then added, but not all things are helpful. And then again in inverted commas, all things are lawful for me. And then added, but I will not be dominated by anything. Here's something you probably didn't know. 
You can't find the term legalism or legalist in the Bible. But I imagine that you know someone like Larry the legalist. Larry says you can't. Larry has an imaginary list of do's and don'ts and thinks that they will save him. Larry is puffed up as he measures himself against his list of do's and don'ts. Larry holds everyone around him to his list of rules and regulations. Larry says you can't. It's all about what you eat and what you drink. It's all about what day you worship on and what your Sabbath looks like. It's all about don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Larry says can't. At the root of Larry the legalist is human tradition, human precepts, and human teachings. It sounds like Christianity, but it is a self-made religion. Larry says you can't, and He's got no grace for you, but he's got plenty of law for you. And Larry will make you a slave to can't if you'll let him. Larry has a twin sister. Her name is Lizzie. You might know someone like her too. Lizzie says she's a Christian, but she sure doesn't live like one. Lizzie loves licentiousness. Lizzie says, you can. You can be a Christian and live a life of habitual and unrestrained indulgence of lust and sensuality. You can go to church on Sunday and be the rot of the party on Saturday. Lizzie loves her sexual immorality, her drunkenness, her crude talk, and her out-of-control behavior. Lizzie says, you can. And if you follow Lizzie, she'll make you a slave to your cans if you'll let her. Larry's legalism, friends, isn't Christianity. Lizzie's licentiousness isn't Christianity either. So what is Christianity all about? It's about liberty. Legalism, licentiousness, liberty. Jesus said, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And Paul said, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free. We are free. Free from the penalty of sin. We are free. Free from the power of sin. We are free. Free from the Jewish law of Moses, which exposed sin, but couldn't forgive sin. We are free. Free to enjoy any activity not expressly forbidden in the Bible. But our liberty has limits. 
Liberty is not the freedom to do as you please, but rather the power to do as you should. Let me give you some examples. There's lots of stuff that you are free to do. You're free to shop, you're free to eat, you're free to take medication, and you're free to have sex. Let me explain. You're free to shop, but you shouldn't be shopping for stuff that you can't actually afford. You're free to eat, but you're not free to eat too little or too much for your body. You're free to take medication, but you're not free to become addicted to medication or narcotics. You're free to have sex, but you are not free to have sex outside of marriage. Sexual immorality is at odds with the Christian life, and no amount of Christian liberty can excuse it. And so Paul addresses a principle which had been misapplied to the Corinthian church. All things are lawful to me, is the principle, and now he gives the limit, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, and now he gives the limit, but I will not be dominated by anything. The principle is really this. Don't use your liberty in Christ as an excuse for ungodly, licentious lifestyle or behavior. That's the first principle. The second principle is in verse 13 and 14. Would you read together with me in your own Bibles? Paul says, and here's the principle, food is meant for the stomach and stomach for food. Here's his limits. Yet, God will destroy both one and the other. Number two, yet, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Number three, yet, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Friends, if your tummy growls, you fill the bag. <laughs> If you get the munchies, you feed the beast. When you're hungry, you chomp down on a hamburger. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Taking care of your physical appetites is an entirely natural, good, and wise thing to do. That's true, generally. But the general principle was being specifically abused by the Corinthian church. The Corinthians were saying, if you've got a sexual itch, a physical craving, scratch it, feed it, quench it, satisfy it. Well, that's just stupid. Paul offers three reasons why that's a dumb idea. First reason why sex and food aren't the same thing. The stomach's need for food isn't going to last forever. We read about that in the second half of verse 13. God will destroy both one and the other. There will come a time when we will not have carnal cravings anymore. Second reason why sex and food aren't the same thing. Jesus is Lord. Read with me at the beginning or the end of verse 13, sorry. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. The word Lord here 
is synonymous with master and owner. The Lord Jesus Christ has authority over us. The Lord Jesus Christ is sovereign over us. The Lord Jesus Christ himself has a plan for our bodies, and so don't defile your body. The word sexual immorality translates a single Greek word, pornea. Pornea comes from a root word which means to sell. And so it originally was associated with prostitution. But over time, pornea came to mean just habitual immorality of any sort. Because of its close association with sexual immorality, pornea is where we derive our English word pornography from. There is a battle in your mind between the Lordship of Jesus Christ and pornea, sexual immorality. If you would be loyal to Jesus, you must renounce pornea. If you heal to pornea, you effectively renounce in that moment Jesus Christ. The battle for your mind is on. Third reason why sex and food aren't the same thing is your body is actually going to be eternal. It says that in verse 14, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Paul is thinking forward to the resurrection of the dead. Our bodies have a future, and it is a glorified future. It's, a, it's going to be a physical future in physical bodies which have spiritual properties and will last forever. But Paul's point is just because something is physical doesn't mean it's not spiritual. While our bodies are physical, how we use them echoes into eternity. And so Paul takes two principles, two general principles that the Corinthians are using to justify sexual immorality, and he demonstrates to them that those principles have limits when they are applied to our bodies and to the use of our bodies. And then he gives us three applications of what he has just said. Three applications in terms of living in a sexually promiscuous world. Three applications that we are to use if we're to fight effectively sexual immorality in our lives. The first is found in verse 15. Just to give you a heads up, the second is in verse 16 through to verse 18, and the last is in verse 19 and 20. The first is, it's an operative verb. I mean, that doesn't matter. But the, the, the sentence in verse 15 ends in the word never. It's like really forceful. The second is a imperative verb. That's a command. We're given a command in verse 18. Flee. Not flee like jump around flee. Flee as in run away. The last is at the end of verse 20. It says glorify. That's another command. It's an imperative. It's something that we must do. Let's take a look at these three ways that we are to live 
Christ-centered and Christ-glorifying lives in light of sexual immorality. The general principle I want to remind you is you can, but Paul's response is just because you can doesn't mean you should. And then the general principle was it's physical, but Paul's response was just because it's physical doesn't mean it's not spiritual. Now, Paul gives three applications relating to sexual immorality. The first application is this. Never, ever defile your body with a prostitute. Do you not know, Paul says, that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never, never, ever stay away from prostitution. This applies to both buyers of prostitution and sellers of prostitution. You were claimed, you who claim to be connected to the body of Christ can never consider it anything less than gross sin to be connected with a prostitute in any way. The second application is this, and it relates to sexual immorality. Run. If or when tempted to sexual immorality, run. Put on your running shoes and get out of the building. Paul says, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee, run, get out of there from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. As you read that, I'm imagining if you ever went to Sunday school, you immediately think back to Genesis and the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. I mean, there you have Joseph working as a slave, but receiving much benefit from being in the house as a house slave of Potiphar, working hard for his master and claiming some rewards. And yet, in the midst of all of that work, temptation comes. Potiphar's wife looks at Joseph. Apparently, he was a handsome man and he was well built. Um, And she desires him in a way that a married woman should never desire another man. Not only that, she confronts him and she propositions him. What was Joseph's response to Potiphar's wife's proposition? It wasn't to sit her down and explain, I need the job. It wasn't to um, tell her how great she was, but she's just not for him, or say the problem's with me. No, Joseph got out of there. He got out of there so fast that he left his cloak behind. Uh, The story continues, and God takes care of Joseph. Uh, But the point that I'm trying to make is that when confronted with sexual immorality, one of the ways that we are to combat it in our lives is to flee from it, run from it, get out of the building. Third application relating to sexual immorality is glorify God. It says in verse uh, 19 and 20, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. So glorify God in your body. Friends, 
how you live your life, how you get through your university years, how you enter into your marriage, all of these things matter. They matter to God and they matter to your testimony. Paul is saying, glorify God with your whole life and with your body. Don't you know that you have been bought at a price and the Holy Spirit of God is within you? Do not bring shame upon the price that Christ paid, nor bring shame or grieve the Holy Spirit of God who is in you. Now, in terms of application to us this evening, in this area of sexual immorality, have you fallen short of the glory of God? Your sins may be or may not be as flagrant as the person who is sitting to the left or to the right of you, your sins in thought, in word, or in deed, but your sins, your personal sins, rise as a stench to Almighty God. Unbeliever, you might wonder if there is any hope for you, any at all. You know that God is holy, 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 that he is perfect in every way. And you know that you know that you are not. Is there any hope that you might be reconciled back to him? Can you have any hope that the debt of sin that you owe to almighty God might be paid. And if it is to be paid, by whom shall it be paid? Because you know that you are spiritually bankrupt. If you are to have any hope at all, it resides in that little phrase in verse 19. You were bought with a price. What price, you ask, as a glimmer of hope appears on the horizon for you? Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. Jesus paid it all. You can have hope, not hope in reforming your ways to be right with God, not hope in anything that you might do, but you can have hope in what God has done for you. Jesus paid it all. Emmanuel, God with us, born as the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. He came into this life and he dwelt among us. He lived the perfect life, tainted in every way, and yet he was found to be without sin. Jesus died for you as a substitute in your place. He went to the cruel cross, and he died not for his sins, he died for the sins of mankind, people like me and people like you. He died that we might live. He died that we might have hope of reconciliation back to God. Friends, you can have hope, not hope in your own works. You can have hope in the finished work of God because on the cross as Jesus died, he declared, it is finished. 
The debt was paid. It was done completely. Your debt has been paid. Turn to Jesus Christ and live. Turn to him now. Cast yourself upon him. Take your burdens to him. Take your guilt to him. Take your sin to him. Call upon his name and live. Obviously, there's not just unbelievers here tonight. Backslider. You who profess the name of Jesus Christ, you were bought at a price too. Since you were obtained at such a tremendous expense, you are to use your body to glorify God. Flee from sexual immorality. Never allow sexual immorality to enslave you again. You have the Holy Spirit of God within you. Lean on Him in your moment of trial and tribulation and temptation. He is enough. Believer. Friends, we live in a wicked world. A world filled with temptation. A world that is set against our Lord. And so it's a world which is set against you. Are you ready to flee temptation, to sexual immorality when you have the chance? Are you committed to living a life to God's praise and to his glory? With his help, I pray you do. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father God, such a relevant topic to us in this world today. Thank you for your word. It is a guide. It points us to Jesus Christ and it is sufficient for all matters of life and godliness. Now by your Holy Spirit, would you write it in our hearts and would you cause us to live lives to your praise and to your glory. In the power of your Spirit, in the name of your Son and to your praise, our God and Father in heaven. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.